welcome to Escape Routes with Condé Nast Traveler. My name is Divya Sani, Global Editorial Director of Condé Nast Traveler, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey. And at Condé Nast Traveler, we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favorite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners, or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. Hello, my name is Michelle Yana Chan. Welcome to Condé Nast Traveler's Escape Routes. I'll be reading my piece on the Arctic islands of Svalbard, which featured in the January 2016 issue of Condé Nast Traveler. I hope you enjoy it. The Arctic archipelago of Svalbard is a man-made construct without natives or roots. You have to leave when you're pregnant because there are no proper hospitals. If by chance you die here, your body is sent back to the mainland because permafrost makes burial impossible. In other words, as Herdis Lien of the thoroughly modern Svalbard Museum says, it's not designed to see through a life cycle. Sitting at a latitude of 78 degrees north, Svalbard lies 800 kilometers north of mainland Norway. Its biggest island is Spitsbergen, the destination for most travellers to this region, reached in three hours by plane from Oslo. Many come and go. The first documented visit was by Dutch explorers, then English walrus hunters, Danish whalers, Russian fox trappers and American mining entrepreneurs. In the 1920s, Norway magicked up a utopian idea for this lawless land. The Svalbard or Spitsbergen Treaty, now signed by more than 40 countries, whose citizens, when they move here, have absolute equality with Norwegians, from owning property to opening a mine. The treaty also states that Svalbard may never be used for warlike purposes. There's no need for visas or work permits for anyone from a signatory country, whether they're from Afghanistan or Venezuela. Everyone who comes chooses to be here. There's no poverty nor crime, but also no social security and no nursing homes. It has a population of about 2,500 people and 3,000 polar bears. In spite of its northerly latitude, the weather is relatively mild because of the warm West Spitsbergen current, which means temperatures often hover around zero. The cold may not be extreme, but the darkness is. There's no sun for six months of the year, which may explain some of the deadpan expressions I encounter along the way, a slightly detached lack of emotion. I love living here, Dolene Marlowe who works at the restaurant of Hotel Isfjord Radio, tells me joylessly. 
She's translucently fair, luminously beautiful, but doesn't offer a flicker of a smile. I'm so happy in Svalbard, she adds glumly. After half a year of polar nights comes the light from mid-April to mid-August and people talk of the sun coming back like a prodigal sun. But it is between winter and summer that the light here is at its most tantalising. Hanne Andersen, who works at the liquor store in Longyearbyen, has lived here for nearly 30 years. Every February, I stand at the window and look at the light, she says. It is blue and mighty. At these times, there's an out-of-focus softness to life. Clouds smudge like ink blots before God-moment rays of sunshine blow holes in the sky. I fly from Oslo to Longyearbyen, Svalbard's main town, where about half the population is Norwegian, and the next biggest group of nationals is from Thailand. Go figure. It's said that a Norwegian man married a Thai woman, and her family and friends have since joined her, attracted by the high salaries and low taxes. This is undoubtedly a transient place. About a fifth of the population is replaced each year, but others choose to make a life here. Many times I hear people say, I came for a few months and stayed. And as I stare out at the Arctic blue and shining ice, I wonder if I might never leave too. Wearing a snowsuit, helmet and gigantic mittens, I take the keys to a snowmobile. I'd always thought of these machines as noisy, smelly and bad for the environment, a bit like jet skis, but here they are essential. It's the only life or death way to get around. We load up supplies, a tent, ration packs, a half-loaded rifle and flare gun, a sat phone, GPS and extra fuel. The guide Steiner Rogerman shows up. He's a bear of a man who wears a XXXL helmet and drives a tiny Toyota. With the photographer too, we clamber on our trio of snowmobiles and leave town through a narrow valley before traversing frozen delta systems. Crisp, sculpted mountains rise abruptly from the brooding sea. In this grainy light, the landscape looks like a lithograph. I slow down to study a solitary, short-legged reindeer. He raises his head before bowing again to nose at the ice for a strand of vegetation. It's a tough life, no matter how shaggy and stocky you are. Reindeer here reject living in a herd because there's too much competition for the limited resources. We stop at Svalbard's second bigger settlement, Barentsburg, where signs are in Cyrillic, the town's built around a Russian-owned coal mine, and we're suddenly catapulted back to Siberia circa 1970. Here there are lurid communist-era flats, onion-domed buildings, rusting heavy machinery, murals of chiselled-faced workers, forests of fir trees and billowing wheat fields. In the restaurant, catering for some of the mine's employees, hungry scientists and the odd tourist, I order a bowl of borscht from a stony-faced Ukrainian. Spasibo, I say. She glares back at me like a henchwoman in a Bond film. 
We move on to Isfjord Radio, a former weather station facing Greenland Sea, which is now a clapboard hotel surrounded by disused satellite dishes, antennae and a lighthouse. Food is brought in only twice a year, by boat in summer and snowmobile in winter, when ingredients can get frostbite and eggs are carried inside sleeping bags. We pickle a lot, like my grandmother used to, and dry things in salt, the hotel chef tells me. I wish I could say I chewed dried Arctic char with calloused hands, but in fact, I feasted like a polar princess. Kobe seal prepared with soya sauce and sesame washed down with Begadel beer, followed by reindeer blood sausage and lingonberries, accompanied by a glass of Croze Emirtage. This was proper Copenhagen-style sophistication. Remember this chef's name, Søren Jørgensen. We'll all be screaming it from the rooftops before long. I asked Steiner if we might pop in on the trapper who supplied the reindeer meat. There are only three full-time trappers in Svalbard, all of them legendary, who live by odd rules, such as if you set five traps, you can only take home five Arctic foxes, but if you set three traps, you can take as many as you like. Steiner rules out a visit. We can't pop in on trappers, he says. They don't do popping in. One of them doesn't like to talk, ever. Outside the window, the sea is darker than slate, flicked by textured white surf as if added by a palette knife as an afterthought. It seems there's always a squall threatening. I walk out into the wind. Two men go by, nod at me, throw off all their clothes and leap into the sea. A walrus with giant tusks swims past behind them and the seal raises its shiny head. We backtrack north. A storm blows in. The GPS is down to 30 metres. Steiner says visibility is zero. It's hard to fathom what that even means in this colourless landscape. There's no perspective or definition. We plough into deep, soft snow. For the next half hour, we're digging out. As we sweat and scrape and shovel, I glance around for polar bears. Not necessary, Steiner says. They're not aggressive. I'm sceptical. Really? Polar bears are only curious and, and always hungry. But polar bears have a reputation for being the most dangerous mammals in the world. Even Steiner admits they're totally unpredictable and very sneaky. Everyone here has a polar bear story. When a seal pops out of its ice hole, one swipe from a waiting predator lands him 40 metres away. They break into cabins, smash down doors and crash through glass windows. One Danish guide was kayaking around Spitsbergen when a bear destroyed his boat. He hauled up in a cabin, hewed a backgammon set from reindeer horn and waited 12 days to be rescued. Another guide has seen 300 in her 15-year career, including one harrowingly close encounter. She saved herself by shooting the animal in the shoulder with a rubber bullet when it was a metre away. At Templefjord, we spend a night on our 100-year-old steel-hulled schooner. In summer, the vessel navigates the fjords, and during winter, she's deliberately frozen into sea ice. The captain tells me that in her first untested season, they could only hope the hull would take the pressure. As I curl up in my cabin, I imagine the ice bearing down on the other side of the wall. Huskies howl in the distance. The next morning, as I rev up my snowmobile, 
puffins fly overhead. We stop at Pyramidin, a Russian mining town abandoned in the late 1990s. Apparently the entire population left in the dead of night, leaving behind plates on tables, sheets on beds and a film rolling in the cinema. The hotel has recently reopened and it looks like something from The Shining. Only five people live in this ghost town, one of them Sasha, a near-Russian cliché in his felt Valenki boots and high papaha fur hat, tells me his wife left him when they were passing through Istanbul, so he thought he'd come here. We cross the sea ice towards the Nordenskold glacier, with its textured, ruched surfaces and startling Bombay sapphire blue hue. In the distance, I make out a young woman on skis pulled by a roped husky, a rifle slung across her back. She looks exhilaratingly free, not trying to prove anything to anybody. It turns out to be Ingebjörg Schroeder, the woman who single-handedly looks after the cabin where we're spending the night. A hundred metres after our encounter, there are polar bear tracks in the fresh snow. That evening, I ask her if she is ever afraid. It's healthy to be alone, she says. I listen to the wind and notice its direction. I hear the waves under the sea ice. I picture myself on the very top of the globe, and life feels perfect. Her cabin has a whistling chimney. There's no electricity, and water is sourced from glacier ice. They say this is the world's most northern lodge for commercial use. It may also be the final outpost before oblivion. The governor of Svalbard is considering halting all development beyond Longyearbyen's city limits. On my last day, I harness six dogs to a sled that looks like it might have been leased from a Santa Claus. Pulling me are Gagarin, Nansen, Putin, Yukon, Tundra and Ruger with his mismatched blue and hazel eyes. Working together, these creatures can reach speeds of up to 18 kilometres per hour. I love their haste, almost a panic to pull, and the fact they're clever enough to poo as they run. On return, the dogs are tired, but there are no treats. Dead seals hang from a teepee-like structure, out of reach of polar bears. My dogs will eat with the others later in the day. There's no soft touch out here. The Arctic environment hardens you, I meet an Italian who's been here 20 years. He says he stays for the distance, for the light, for the horizon, and vows to remain as long as I am nervous. If you stop being nervous, it's over. You feel a mistake here very fast. When I ask another explorer if the rawness and risks make life cheaper or more expendable, he breaks down without explanation, muttering, Sorry, Svalbard is a tough, mysterious and beautiful place. I never see the aurora borealis, neither do I see a polar bear, but it's no matter, really, truly, not through clenched teeth. You come here for the remoteness, for the silence, to feel the air whooshing into your lungs, for the shifting, slanting light, for the total, instant immersion into wilderness, and above all, to remember your unimportance.
We hope you enjoyed our Escape Truth podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us on the charts and ensure that you're the first to hear about our new episodes.